0: morning spc how are you good i want to invite you to stand with us this morning my name is sarah if you haven't met me we're super blessed to be here this morning and to worship with you i wanted to share a verse that goes with the one of the first songs that we're going to sing and it's first peter 2 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that's what we get to celebrate this morning, that we've been freed from our sin, from our shame, from our past failures and mistakes. But also we get to celebrate the victory that he has had on the final word on the cross, And so I invite you this morning. This may be a newer song to some of you, but it's pretty upbeat. And feel free to get loud with us this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we can get started. Lord, we're grateful to be here. We're excited to hear from you in your word. We're excited to worship you, Lord. Your word says that you're looking for those who will worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. I pray that now you would rid us of any distractions, Lord, of what we ate for breakfast or what we're eating for lunch, or any distractions that, before we got here, Lord, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts to meet with you in this place this morning. And I pray that um, whether we feel adequate or not to sing, Lord, that we would bring you glory, because your word says, if we don't praise you, even the rocks will cry out, Lord. So would we just praise you now this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. that now, Lord, that you would um, bring to our remembrance those areas of our lives, that you've been faithful to us, Lord, that we get to remember those areas in our lives, and would you bring them to our memory now as we just sing this song to you, Lord, as a prayer. She to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good
1: morning.
2: Good morning. Man, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, we're uh, still outside and still enjoying it. Hopefully uh, you guys are enjoying it as well. Just a continued thank you for all of you to accommodate with the parking and And just the chaos that is outdoor services right now, if you have uh, not met me yet, my name is Jesse. And for the most part, uh, I have the great privilege to be able to teach God's Word here on Sundays. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning. So uh, if you have uh, uh, your Bible, please turn there. If you want to use your phone, that's great, too. We also – we've mentioned this almost every week since we've done it. We launched uh, an app. You can get that on uh, Android and and iPhone and all that. And there's actually – Bible in the in the app you can take notes uh, in the app all of our events are in the app our live feed is in the app all of our past sermons are in that app Uh, all of the events are in there too so if you haven't downloaded it yet make sure that you do especially if you're new you can give online there as well Uh, and so that's kind of the hub and the place where all the info is you can also sign up for our newsletter on there as well that comes out weekly that's the primary way that we're trying to communicate all the things that are going on in our church because there is quite a bit that is going on in fact just this Last week, couple great praises. We did a, um, we did the Holy Ho down this uh, this last uh, Friday, uh, so uh, I'm sorry, Saturday it was yesterday. We had um like eighty something people here who were all square dancing it away for Jesus, and we had again Tahoe uh, Tahoe Trucky, what is it? No, it's Tahoe Tap Truck here giving uh, root beer floats again. So thank you to them, and then uh, just a, another great praise. You know, every year uh, Brad Noll does an outreach. Uh, vacation Bible school and we just had an incredible week this last week Uh, just under 120 kids were with us this last week so please give all the volunteers a hand Uh, quite a bit going on and then a couple things we're already preparing for fall there's a women's retreat that's coming up up in September Uh, we're going to be launching another financial peace university uh, course which is uh, basically a way to to help you get your finances in order so we've got some more things Going on, and then I'll give you an update. We've mentioned uh, a couple things. You know, the 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 one thing I, I've been mentioning a few weeks over and over is that this land was for sale, and I've had people feel that what I'm asking for is a millionaire to buy that land, which would be great. Uh, but we also understand that that's probably not going to be the case. Really, I'm mentioning it is hey, we're praying about purchasing land around us, and if you have information or you want to help assist in that in any way, financially or advisory we're just looking for help and so this land actually in the time that i've shared with you it's already sold not 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 by uh, we didn't buy it uh and i've i'm still praying that whoever bought it has full intentions to give us the deed so we can pray for that and then um but there's actually still some land across the way over here uh and so that may be available so again we don't know what god wants he may want us to stay right where we're at who knows we're just praying it through and so keep that in mind. And then continue just to pray for those who are still hurting and and wrestling. I I got a message this morning from Laura Schroeder. Those of you may know her. Uh, She's been suffering from chronic pain for almost a year, and she just wants us to continue to pray for her. And so if you could pray for her, that would be really, really great. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. So if you remember, Paul has never met the people of Colossians. He's never met this church. He's never been to this church, but he uh, was the guy who basically preached the message that got the guy who planted this church saved, Epaphras. And so Epaphras planted this church, and then all of a sudden, through Roman influence, the church kind of started to embrace some of the Roman influence philosophy. Uh, Basically, what was being taught was that the gospel was too simple. Uh, It needed more. They needed to add more to it, even the law, obeying the law. And so Epaphras goes back to Paul says, hey, Paul, this is what's happening in the church. And Paul writes this letter to help this church stay focused on the gospel. So really what Colossians is all about is the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the fact that you and I, that all we need is Jesus. And so he's going to keep building upon these realities that all we really need is Jesus. And it is that simple. So he has heard a few things, if you remember. He says, okay, from Epaphras, I've heard That you have a public faith, you have a great love for one another, you have an eternal hope with the gospel. We talked about that last week. What does that look like, having eternal hope? And at the center of all of this, the people have a tremendous gratitude. Now, really, chapter 1 and continuing on, this is just one kind of big lengthy prayer that, that Paul is praying for the church. He's praying for God's people that they would keep Jesus in the center of it all and they wouldn't mix Jesus with anything other than just the pure gospel alone. So if you would this morning, make you stand one more time. We honor the word, and so we like to stand when we read uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. The title of the message this morning is to be filled with God, to be filled with God. And here Paul again mentions verse 9. And so from the day we have heard these things, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. This is God's word, and the church said, Amen. You may please be seated. Um, So here's kind of, I got four little avenues I want to go down this morning. So if you're a note taker, uh, you will appreciate the outline. The filling, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with God. What it is to have a worthy walk that comes from that filling, the strength and power that we have in God because of that filling, and ultimately the reality of what I would call a cosmic exchange. A filling, a worthy walk, strength and power, cosmic exchange. What is it to be filled? What does it mean when Paul says, I'm praying that you would be filled with God? What does that mean? Now our society, if we're really, really honest, uh, as far as its filling is concerned, has all of the knowledge in the world. We have access to all of the knowledge in the world, all the tech in the world, but we're about an inch deep when it comes to to the kind of people that we are. We realized actually, in fact, one of the reasons that I think God has continued to bless our church in the season being open, because many of you needed to be with other people, to grow in relationships so that you wouldn't be an inch deep, so that you wouldn't be a shallow person, but that you would be a deep person. The language that's used here to be filled literally means to be totally controlled. Let's talk about this for a moment. There's another place in Ephesians. I said last week, Ephesians is one of my favorite books. And Ephesians actually talks about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God. And we have all kinds of ideas of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and all kinds of different denominations come out with all kinds of different things of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But Ephesians tells us exactly what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you remember what he says, is Paul mentions this really interesting line. He says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So he gives us a contrast of what it means to be filled with the world. To be filled with that which is not God is to be drunk. What do drunk people do? Well, they're out of control, first of all. They do everything and anything that they want. They're not disciplined in their life, right? They're, they're not controlled. To to the word in Ephesians that's used literally to be filled is to be saturated with. To be just just drunk in, in this, this kind of worldly vein where there's no control. We do whatever we want, there's no discipline. We're just all over the place, and there's no order to our lives. But Paul says the reverse. He says to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled. It's the opposite of drunkenness. Now, the other thing I want you to notice about to be filled is that the language that's used is that the filling is still happening, which means that all of us are in a process of being filled. There's some really great biblical language here in doctrine and theology if you're one of those kind of people like, you, like this is really like a 10-year study just in these verses. Okay, there is some depth to what is here. And first of all, one of the things that Paul lets us know, the reality is when you are saved, when you come to saving faith in Jesus, when you finally come to that place and you say, I'm going to, to totally fill myself with God, not with the world, not with wine, not with alcohol, but rather with the control of God. I want to be totally saturated with the control of God. You become what we call justified, justification. There's two ways to say justification, two ways to kind of think about it. One is just as if I'd never done it. Right? This, this is the reality that Jesus, uh, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, has, allows God to see you as if you've never sinned, just as if you have never sinned. But you know the other part to that is just as important. There's the vacating of sin that God no longer sees that sin in you, but then the filling of God is just as if you have done all the right things. Are you with me this morning? So when you come to saving faith through Jesus, Jesus says, you're justified before me, just as if you've done all the right things, just as if you've not done all the wrong things. It's both. That's one of the reasons why Jesus lived for 33 years and he lived a perfect life. So that he could impute to you, that is to blanket you, to give you the life that you never could live. None of us here have the ability to live perfectly. So Jesus justifies us. That's the sacrifice on the cross. He takes our sin upon himself and then he places upon you and I his perfection and justification. But the filling is what we call The continual filling, not the justification, is what we call sanctification. Do you like big words? I will say justification. I will say sanctification. It's just a big word for slow, methodical, but very slow growth. You know what it is to be a pastor? What it is to be a leader? is to help take people from God's point A to God's point B. My job is to, to take you from point A to point B, but it's not Jesse's point A to point B. It's not Sierra Bible Church's point A to point B. It's Jesus' desire in your life to go from point A to point B. And some of us, some of us are farther along than others, and some of us are really, really far behind. And sometimes we just need to be able to understand that we should, ju- we, we should judge somebody not for where, where we think they should be, but where they've come from. Are you with me? Some people are like, oh, that guy's really rough around the edges. Well, you know where he was a few years ago, yeah? You know he was on drugs? You know he was drinking? She was sleeping around? Do you know what, where these people came from? Do you know there are people here that, that when I say to them, Don't be filled with drunkenness. They immediately know what God means by that. And then the reverse of that, the control that we give to God. Hebrews 5.11 says it like this in regards to our slow methodical growth. We're not full, but God wants us to be continually filled. And Hebrews has this great line, and this is a rebuke to some of you, not all but some. The author of Hebrews says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. That's like every sermon. <laughs> I have much to say, and it's hard to explain. But since, because he gives us the reason why. Since you have become dull of hearing. I like, I like how he's preaching here. He's saying, this, the reason you're not learning, it's not my fault. It's your fault. For though, now this is what he says, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. It's a rebuke. It's a rebuke, but it's also an encouragement. And the encouragement is if you are content with just the basics of faith, you're missing out. It's a call to go deeper. And Paul uses language here such as wisdom and understanding. Understanding. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge. Okay, so, so you know what knowledge isn't? Knowledge isn't Google. That's not what it is, okay? It's not Urban Dictionary. You can't go online and just Google something and have it just rock your world. It takes effort and that slow, methodical growth to be filled with God. It takes effort, what Paul calls a worthy walk. That's the walk, a worthy walk. It's slow, and it's methodical. It's to be filled with God, and it's to go deeper into God. It's to go deeper in God, and it's to study the things of God so that your heart will grow more affectionate towards God, and that you'll be able to apply that wisdom in life. It's not just sin management. Some some people think Christianity is sin management. You know what sin management is? How many of you have a good lawn? I have a good lawn. I'm the only one. Praise God. I'm, I do. I have a great lawn. You know what I, what, when, we, when we got our house, one of the first things we did is we put a lawn in the backyard, and my wife absolutely loves aspens. She loves them. She loves the colors, especially in the fall. Aspens are beautiful, but you never plant aspens near a beautiful lawn. Do you know Why? Because pretty soon the aspens will be in your lawn. There was a house in Glenshire, and, uh, and we used to live in Glenshire, and you drive down the road, and there was a, a gentleman who had perfect lawn for about two days every week. And then you know what happened after he mowed it? What grows faster than grass? Aspens. The aspens were root, I mean, a so, few days later, there they are. Aspens are beautiful, but They're weeds and they grow like wildfire. Really, what sin management is, if you don't grow in the knowledge of God, it's just mowing over your lawn and expecting the aspens to never fully come up. And the reality is, is in order for us to grow in the knowledge of God, sometimes you have to do the deep-rooted work to get those things out of your life. That is to be filled. That is the growing of God. So then he tells us how we kind of get into this. How do we walk this out? Not that we just mow it over and we get into sin management, but, but how, how do we walk in a manner worthy of God as he says is fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work? So first of all, just know a worthy walk of God as we're filled is a walk that wants to please God fully, what we would call living for his glory. We don't live for our own glory because there's no satisfaction in living for our own glory. And that's what society is teaching you. Uh, For instance, society, whether you know it or not, culture, whether you know it or not, is teaching you that it's not about your depth, it's about how you look that matters. It's all about your looks. Right? I mean, this is why the Kardashians are popular. Because it's all about the look, has nothing to do with the depth of people they are, does it? It's all shallow. And this is what culture produces. This is why there's filters on your phone that make you look like you don't really look. Those things are magical, by the way. They're magical. And when somebody looks online at that, it's, it's fake and it's not real. When a man looks at those images, gals, if you're posting that stuff, the guy's not looking and going, I bet she's just a wonderful person. She just must be amazing. No, they're, they're, they're only thinking one thing, not the depth Just the image, and that's what's pushed down the culture. So we want to walk in a way that's worthy to God, that not for our glory or our looks, but for the glory of God. And God tells us in 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 living in a way that pleases Him, that we walk in humility, purity, contentment, faith, good works, love, light, wisdom, and truth, and that we bear fruit. But I like how Paul says it. Not everyone's going to like this because not everyone is cerebral, not everyone likes to read, not everyone likes to study, but he says that we're to increase in the knowledge of God. Look at verse 9. Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Be filled with the knowledge of God. Do you know there are Actual doctrinal absolutes. Do you believe there's absolutes? Because you know our culture doesn't, right? You know The culture's like, if it's good for you, that's fine. Just keep it where you're at. If it's good for them, whatever your truth is, whatever's working for you, man, that's fine as long as it's working for you. It's not about truth. It's not about what does God have to say about things. But let me share with you a couple things about Paul's writing. When you read Romans... All the way up until chapter 11, it's all doctrinal truth. And then after chapter 11, it gets practical into exhortation. In Galatians 1 through 4, it's all doctrinal truth. Then in 5 through 6, just the last two chapters, it gets into practical exhortation. Same thing in Ephesians. Chapters 1 through 3, all about our position in Christ, all about that doctrine of our position in Christ. And then verses 3 through 6, it's practical. You know why this is important? Because most of us think that theology, and just so you know, everyone's a theologian. Did you know that? Some people are like, I'm not a big theology guy. Yeah, you are. Every thought you have on God is a theological thought. That's what theology is. It's the study of who God is. If you say, I think God is this, you're a theologian. The reality is, are you a good theologian or are you a bad theologian? And then the next step after that is, Do you know how to apply your theology in a way that edifies and glorifies God? Right? Most people do this. They do Russian roulette kind of Bible study, right? Okay, God, I want to get married. Uh, They lay hold of a bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like a roaring, oh, my gosh, horses. Battle. This has nothing to do with dating. (laughs) Not the whole Bible itself, but the way in which we go about studying God's word. Some of us don't know how to do it. And the encouragement for Paul is he's saying, you've got to grow in the knowledge of God. And there's only one way that you can do that. You've got to read. You've got to get in the word. And you've got to surround yourself with people who preach the word of God with the Bible open and tell you that their points are coming from the word of God. And there should be no compromise on that. Because there are dangers that Scripture talks about for having a lack of knowledge. Listen to Proverbs 19.2. Desire without knowledge is not good. Okay, this is a simple one. The language that's there actually is a soul without knowledge is not good. Right? To be filled with drunkenness. To be filled with the world's understanding. Not the understanding of God, but your own understanding. It says not good. Isaiah 5.3. My people went into exile because of a lack of knowledge. Literally, what Isaiah says, what God says through Isaiah is that the people of Israel went in into bondage, into slavery, because they lacked knowledge. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 14 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Let me read that again. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Be infants in evil, he says. You know, kind of of an innocence. But in your thinking, be mature. Right? Paul's saying, listen, you want to be filled with God? It's a slow, methodical pace. There's There's a gal who started coming to church. They're not here this week. And uh, they started coming on Christmas Eve. Her name's Diane, so I can tell you because she's not here. And uh, she wouldn't mind, but Diane Diane started coming on Christmas Eve with her husband. Wait, are you guys here? I think I just saw her husband a minute ago. You're here. Diane's not here. Her husband's here. Hey. (laughs) Awkward moment. (laughs) And um, she comes up to me every week, and she's just got so many incredible questions. And she told me she's just like, I... The one thing I hear this from people who who end up getting saved later in life, I wish I would have got saved earlier because there's so much to learn. Do you know God knows that? He knows the perfect time for you to live, the perfect time of your salvation, and he knows how to bring you along. And my friends, by God's grace, it is a community in which we are a part of here. And it's a community that I hope and desire to cultivate where we have people from all kinds of different points of walks in their faith. Some of you are really mature, and I'm so thankful for you, but you know what your weakness is? You look down on, and you judge, and sometimes come across as arrogant in the way you share your truth. And some of you are infants in your walk, and I love you, and I'm excited for you. You know what your weakness is? Sometimes your zeal and your passion get ahead of your knowledge. And you do things that you're not ready to do yet or you start things you're not ready to start yet or you get into leadership that you're not ready to be in leadership yet. So Paul says, don't lay hands on someone too, too young because they're not ready. You don't want them to become too prideful. And the reality is, is we need both. And as you mature, the Bible gives us the language that's needed for us to be growing and filled in our knowledge of God. It says, you older men should be teaching younger men. If you're an older man here and you're more mature in the faith, God's commandment to you is to teach younger men how to be men. Amen? Amen. And women, if you're older, Timothy is told by Paul to take those younger women and to teach them how to be the kind of women that God wants them to be. So God's given us a pattern. And that pattern is that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we wouldn't be immature in our thinking, but that we would desire the meat now, don't get me wrong here. Some of you are not ready to chew. I get that. Some of you don't even know where to chew yet. That's a big concern for me. Because, because again, in our day and age, you, start, you get saved, and the first thing you do is you start doing what? Googling stuff. And the first stuff that pops up is all the stuff Satan wants you to see right away. Google is not built in its search engine, and this is true for YouTube as well, to bring you the glory of God straight and forward into your face. Do you know that? If you don't understand the algorithms of the Internet and how it works, it is trained to ensure that the junk comes up first. Are you with me? You want to know? The culture is after you. Satan is after you to change your thinking to make you immature, and to lean in on your emotions. That's why the real world and e-television and all of those things blew up. We just eat it up. It's just emotional, argumentative tension to be drunk with the world. That's what that stuff is. It's not calm. It's not cool. It's not collected. It's not controlled. My friends, you've you got to make sure that, that when you're listening to a preacher, they're putting the emphasis back on the Word of God that you then would be equipped for the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians 4, 11. And that at some point we would grow so that we would not be tossed to. and Listen to this. This is what he says, literally, that you may no longer be children. This is Ephesians 4, verse 14. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of what? Who knows it? Doctrine. That's the language that's used. Human cunningness and craftiness. Doctrine is a big word for a set of beliefs. What you believe. What your knowledge is. What Paul is is rooting for is that you're so confident in understanding of the word of God that the world cannot come and knock you around. And get you to believe one thing one day, and then you believe something else another day, and then you're buying into something else another day, and then you're trying one new thing another day. I mean, our culture wants to be filled. That's why That's why all of the 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 yoga and and all of the spiritual kind of mumbo-jumbo that's out there, be filled, be filled. And God lets us know, Jesus lets us know in the Gospels that if you're not filled with Jesus, you're going to be filled with something you cannot be empty. And so you'll try to fill your life with anything and everything, but once you have Jesus, you grow in that knowledge of God, you walk in a manner that's worthy You dive in and you learn more about who God is, the character, the nature, and the goodness of God. And then he says in verse 11, an outflow of that is to be strengthened in power. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of strength and power, I immediately go to the weight room, right? Power cleans and deadlifts, that kind of thing. Strength and power. I immediately go to muscles, muscles. And probably what many in the culture would say is uh, toxic uh, chauvinism, male, like to be a man is toxic. And so if you're a man, you need to apologize this morning. That's kind of where the culture's at, right? I mean, but but what's interesting is Paul literally tells us what that strength and power is in the passage. If you take a look, what does he say? He says, first of all, you know what strength and power is? Verse 11, patience. who to thunk it? Allie, what's the definition of patience that we give our kids? Joyfully waiting for a good outcome. That's what my wife teaches our kids. I teach them, (laughs) we just want to make sure the kids both get a, a healthy view of how not to do things and how to do things. Patience. Paul's saying, hey, you know what? One of the things that comes from this knowledge of God is you're going to be more patient, especially with people and circumstances. The next thing that he lists there is endurance. He says if you're going to be filled with the knowledge of God and you're going to be mature, that maturation is going to lead to patience. It's also going to lead to endurance, and endurance is the ability to go through trials and suffering well. Did you hear me? some of us have a, the wrong theology that Jesus died on the cross so that your life will be easy, then why did Jesus say, if I suffer and I'm persecuted, you'll suffer and you'll be persecuted as well? Do you remember what he says to John the Baptist? John the Baptist is literally arrested for his faith. He's doubting Jesus. And John the Baptist sends his disciples back to Jesus and asks Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus' response to John the Baptist is, the deaf hear, the blind see, and the lame walk, go and tell John. You know what his message to John was? I am the Messiah. And what John's real question to Jesus was, are you going to save me from the beheading I'm facing? And Jesus' response basically is, for the glory of God, no, I'm not. Because God uses our pain and suffering to show the glory of God. God makes sense of the pain and suffering in this world. And there are people all the time who say, wait a minute, I don't know if I can love a God who allows pain and suffering. And it's not about Him allowing pain and suffering. It's about the reality that we know that we suffer in this world and there will be no suffering in the next world. Because those of us who are true in our faith realize that we're anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're only suffering but, but, but for a moment, Paul says, that will have eternal glory in heaven. Tears now, but tears forevermore? No. We have a hope that is beyond this world, amen? And we place that hope. And so we can go through strength and power and the knowledge of God, patience, endurance, and then he gives two other things, joy and also giving thanks. He says you're going to be joy-filled and you're going to be grateful. We talked about, uh, we've talked about this a few times in the last several weeks. Philippians 4.6, be, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, give thanks. Anybody have any anxiety last year? Probably not. But he literally says, hey, if you want to get rid of your anxiety, just say thank you to God. Colossians 4.2 says, continue in prayer and be watchful, but just keep giving thanks, he says. Psalms 107.21 says, let them thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for his steadfast love. You know what isn't steadfast? You know what? This society, I can't wait for what the new narrative is going to be in September, October, and November. Hey, do you understand what I'm saying? This thing's not over. This thing's not over. Some of you are like, oh, well, well okay. Well, maybe." I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, this is the truth. Now, this is the truth. No, deltas is the truth. Th- what do we do? You should keep wearing you, all of these different things. The world is not steadfast. It is chaotic. It is up and down. It is not stable because that's the, you know what's stable? Jesus is stable. He's the rock. That's the strength and power. And we, in, in our trials and tribulations, we just say, thank you, Jesus. Spurgeon says it like this. Let gratitude be awakened. Let humility be deepened. Let love be quickened. May gratitude to God permeate my entire life. The greater our present trials, the louder will our future songs be. And the more intense our joyful gratitude. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. Now, because of time i don't have all of the time to go into the cosmic exchange of where our gratitude comes from but even in this in in the next several verses in 13 through 14 he talks about how our kingdom that god has moved us from the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light c.s lewis in his chronicles of narnia likened likened the darkness that is not salvation To the land of Narnia where it was always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. But Jesus, much like the Lion of Aslan, rescues us from the full wintered land and brings us into spring and into summer and into the light. And he tells us how he does it. Jesus qualifies you, delivers you redeems you, and forgives you. Man, seriously, that's a whole sermon. The qualification of Jesus, he says, how do you get to heaven? Well, I qualify you. That word qualified literally means to make sufficient, to empower, to make fit. How does one get to heaven? Jesus qualifies you. Right, you don't have to run a track race, you don't have to go to the gym, you don't have to become a vegetarian, you don't have to be circumcised, thank God. You don't have to go on a certain diet. You don't have to go to a certain church. Jesus alone qualifies you. And when he qualifies you, he delivers you, which is to rescue from the enemy, and he redeems you. He purchased you with a price, and that price was his perfect blood. And then he forgives you. Now, the culture, on the other hand, I'm sure you're familiar with this term, is all about the, virtues, vir, the, <laughs> the virtue of virtue. Signaling, isn't it? You know what the culture says? The culture says if you're going to be righteous, you better vote a certain way. You you better be against certain people. You you better stand up for certain things and stand against other things. You better be on the right side of history, for goodness sake. And if not, you're not righteous. You're the enemy, right? Be loving. Be tolerant unless you're a christian then you're intolerant now i don't know if that's news to all of you this morning but the culture sees you as an intolerant group of people that should be canceled out of culture completely do you believe that men should be strong and caring and teach their young boys how to be strong and caring if you do you are not flowing with the culture. You're just not. And it just blows me away in the last year how many people have wanted to say, you know what, the church needs to comply with the culture. Absolutely not. The church complies with the scripture. And we grow in the knowledge of scripture because Jesus calls us to that and because Jesus has qualified us to have that understanding, if you feel like, you know what, I can't grow any deeper in my faith, God's Holy Spirit will enable you to learn more, I promise. And when it comes to the culture, I'd mention this quote, a, a part of this quote, and I'm going to close with this quote, and the worship team can start making their way up. And I want to close with this quote, um, like I said, I mentioned it uh, uh, several months back, and... It's from a gentleman by Tulian Tavigian who's gone through a whole slew of his own stuff. And some people will, will enjoy who he is and some will probably not enjoy who he is. But his, his quote here from his blog is right on. Let me read it to you in its fullness. Jesus called canceled people his friends. In fact, his circle of followers included a betrayer, a thief, and a prostitute, just to name a few. He was unwilling to cancel the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad, and the guiltiest of the guilty. He moved toward those whom society moved away from. He befriended, loved, and touched the outcast, the misfit, the leper, the liar, the sexually deviant. He refused to dismiss those who had been dismissed, reject those who had been rejected, denounce those who had been denounced, and shamed those who had been shamed. In fact, his closest friends were of such ill repute that the religious leaders concluded Jesus must be an imposter because no self-respecting man of God would embrace the kinds of people Jesus embraced. That's the big difference between Jesus and cancel culture. Here's the kicker. While our culture, including the church at times, cancels people who have done terrible things, Jesus cancels the terrible things that people are canceled for. The sins and the scandals that cancel culture chooses not to forget, Jesus chooses not to remember. This is what it is to be forgiven. That there is nothing that you can do or that you will do to make Jesus not love you or draw near to you. You are never too far from God. And there is no sin bigger than the grace of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we give God the glory for his redemption? Lord, you're good to us. Gotcha. (laughs) And I uh, pray, Lord, that we would continue to um, put our eyes on you, that we would not be focused on the message of the world, Lord, that we would not be absorbed in the news or the social media, Lord, but we would be absorbed in your word. (coughs) God, I am so thankful for the men before me that have driven that into my life. Jesse, teach the word. Teach the word. Teach the word. Teach the word. Know the word is to know Jesus. You tell us in John, Lord, that you were the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Give us a desire. If we don't have it, Lord, give us a desire to dive into the word. And Lord, for those of us that have it, increase our knowledge of you. For you are infinite and there is always more to know. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, the church said.